cliffcentral.com. That's right. If you want to find out what they uh, discovered about those uh, identical ice and, uh, and electric cars from Volvo and what they discovered about the brakes, you can listen to the Auto Trader podcast, which happens on a Monday. And, if, of course, you can listen to it whenever you want because it's a podcast. But you can get that ASAP and uh, go and hear all about their investigation into the two different kinds of, uh, of brakes on the same um, on the same Volvo model with an electric and an ICE vehicle, and you can see which one lasted longer and why. I mean, it's a really interesting discussion. So it's time for the burning platform, and Pumi Mashiko and I are ready to take you through some of the big stories of the week. We're joined by uh, Barry Bateman, who really doesn't need any introduction, but I'll give him one anyway, because um, Barry is a well-known journalist in South Africa. He's worked at EWN, and ENCA. He co-wrote a book about the Oscar Pistorius story, and he is now working with AFRI Forum's private prosecution unit as their communications manager, and still keeping an eye on all the big stories. I want to start off, though, Pums, if you don't mind, with uh, just letting Barry bask in the glory of his, his career so far. First of all, Barry, welcome. You know, it wasn't that long ago... <laughs> Wasn't that long ago that you broke the, you were the guy who broke the story, as I recall, of the Watercliffe Air Force Base and the Guptas, which really was the start of the reveal of state capture, if you think about it, right? Barry, you're on mute. Just unmute yourself, and then we're good to go. Uh, can, there we go. There we go. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes, loud and clear. Go for it. We can hear you. What I prefer to say is I was part of the unwelcoming party at the Vodacliffe Air Force Base on that particular morning. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I got, I got the tip the previous night that uh, there was going to be this wedding party that was going to be dropping in and making their way to, to Sun City. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Gareth. I didn't believe it. I don't think anybody could have believed that these people were actually going to do this. And I was on my way to a meeting in Joburg, and I, I saw the Blue Light Brigade vehicles heading in the opposite direction. Because, remember, they were being ferried to Sun City. Yeah. And I called my, my, my editor, Katie, and I said, listen, I'm just going to quickly stop in at the airport and have a quick look. And there it was, this, wow. this massive um, welcoming party, uh, people getting into big VIP vehicles, the police escorting them out of there. Um, and, and I think that was the it, – it really was the first open display of the power of the Gupta family over South African politicians in that they could um, manage to land their privately chartered jet – at a uh, an air force facility no less so yeah, yeah it was it's one of my proud moments i think absolutely you should be and i mean really that opened the can of worms and then we suddenly realized because we were all in blissful ignorance for a very long time and before that story we thought oh well there's probably a bit of corruption going on you know we knew a little bit about Nkandla, we knew about that stuff but that was nothing compared to what was actually going on behind the scenes and here we are so many years later barry and I can't even believe how far it's gone. We've just seen the, the release of the State Capture Report Part 4, I think it is. Uh, Pumi's the only person I know in the whole world who reads these things cover to cover. Um, maybe Karen Morn, who we had on last week. But can you believe how far it's gone? Yes. Are you surprised by any of this? I mean, even you must be shocked. No, no. Um, you know, surprised in, 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 in the detail. Yeah, you know, we, we get all this fine detail. But you know what? A lot of what came out in the State Capture Commission where you had people come and testify about stuff. Mm. The excellent people at the likes of Amabungane, mm. Daily Maverick, um, you know, the, the investigative outfits uh, at News24 as well. They've been reporting on this stuff for years. 
um, it had been out there, but you know, you just get you were hit with a flat denial from some government minister or the presidency or someone saying that you know that this is an attack on the ANC, this is an attack on the government, and this is the way it was dismissed for many years. Um, and and you know, we've seen it when the reports come out, the likes of Sam Sol and, and Yanni, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do some fantastic work. We'll come out and say, but we told you about this years ago, and he'll he'll actually you know quote not quote he'll uh, put up the the link. To the article that was published in 2015, for example, um, just showing how they've been vindicated in the work that they're doing. So, you know, shocked at, I suppose, the detail of, of how yeah. brazen it was, but not surprised. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> um, I mean, so yourself? I mean, did you, what did you make of it? <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still sitting here. I cannot believe the scale of the whole thing. I mean, the. You know, there were the there were the coal mines. There were a couple of other things. There was New Age. There were there were those New Age breakfasts, but we didn't know that there was Estina Dairy. That um, ministers had been captured. That some of them had been bribed with a little bit of money. Some of them with a lot. I mean, what what uh, chief chief justice. Yeah, bribe packs. Bribe what, packs. What Chief Justice bribe Zondo? Bribe packs cool drinks. Right. What Chief Justice Zondo said in his last report <clears throat> is that. Musbenzizwani and uh, Ace Mahashule should be should be prosecuted is what he recommended for their involvement in some of the stuff. And there are still people who are connected to that network of patronage, and it's spawned a whole faction in the ANC. I don't feel sorry for the ANC. I want to see the ANC's demise as a result of this corruption, but I actually can't believe how much they got away with. And they could have got away with more if we hadn't seen them doing the most blatant and they got they got so full of hubris that they were landing their plane at an, an air force base and taking over the whole of sun city and basically thumbing their nose at the at the south african uh, at the south african public making a mockery of our government and and really ridiculing everything that we thought we stood for because they they owned us they they put slave collars on us and they owned us so, you know what? what? I'm quite interested in hearing, Barry. And as we, over the past week, as bits and pieces of what's in the reports and the what the follow-up is going to be as we wait with bated breath to see what the NPA do with any, if that's, that's for me with what's all important. or any of this. Yesterday, we saw and reported, I think, in News 24, that the DA is actually putting a, a criminal complaint against the ANC for racketeering. I'm quite interested. Did you see this? And I'm quite no, I didn't interested see it, but... to know what do you think of that. <laughs> uh, it's politicking. I mean, clearly. What's the DA doing filing a racketeering charge? How have they formulated this racketeering charge? I mean, not even the NPA knows how to properly you know, formulate a racketeering charge if you look at their history, you know. Um, you know, and that's one of the issues that we have, uh, and, and I'm speaking for the, the private prosecution unit and we watch what, what happens and so on, is, is, and, you know, this is something I've seen for many years, the way the NPA conducts itself. They, instead of prosecuting the low-hanging fruit, right, where you have Gwede Mantashe, for example, mm. who admits that Bosasa came and installed cameras at his house, okay, that right there is a case of corruption. The case law is clear on this. You don't need to show that he did anything because yeah. that was his excuse. He publicly said, show me what I did for Basasa and so on, and he goes on. You don't need to prove that. All you need to show is that he accepted the gratification that there was that dynamic that was created where mm -hmm. there could be some expectation of something being done. So instead of the NPA going after Montashi on that very simple case of corruption, which will 
with a minimum sentence and get him locked up, prosecute, done. They will rather sit for five years formulating uh, 300 charges and 5 million counts, of which they could probably realistically only prove three. But they will investigate into perpetuity while we continue to wait for something to happen. So that's our concern. That, you know, right. The state must move. Well, they, well, they, they must get people into court, get on the low-hanging fruit, and get people in prison for what they've been doing. All right, so you've jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, and this is really why I'm glad to have you on this morning. I want to talk a little bit about AFRI Forum and this private prosecution branch that you've got going there, because they, they, you guys are doing amazing work, and not just for the people that everybody thought you would, you know? We can, talk, we can talk a little bit about the PR element of this, but, uh, but really, AFRI Forum are helping people, uh, a lot of people who would otherwise have not received any help at all, ordinary citizens, some of them are civil rights abuses, some of them are, are things that should have been, best, been investigated for, uh, for ages, some of them are corruption, and we've got to talk about some of those cases. But let's just for a minute address the NPA, because I'm so sick of talking about Shamila Batoy and hoping that something will change. It's not going to change, right? How long has she been in office? What? How many people has she actually sent to jail? Because Pumi and I were saying sarcastically last week, it turns out that Sean Abrams might even have been a better uh, national director of public prosecutions than Shamina Batoy has been. She's done nothing. She sat <laughs> on, but she sat on her hands. I mean, how long has she still got in office and what is it going to take to get rid of her? Is she like, you know, as, as reviled as Busisiwe Mkwebani? No, people seem to give her chance after chance after chance. What's that about? Yeah, she almost, you know, she, she's come in and, and, you know, she came in, you know, praised as, as being, you know, the shining light that's going to turn things around. But mm -hmm. she's almost as if she's locked herself in her office. Yeah. We don't see much of her. Very rarely will she come out to say something. Uh, you know, we, we deal primarily through spokespeople. She goes to Parliament occasionally and talks about the difficulties that the NPA experiences. But you're quite right, uh, Gareth. It, it, it's a problem. Um, do something. Yeah. And that something must be prosecutions. And again, we go back down to the low-hanging fruit. I, I, okay, I, I want to take a step back. And um, Barry, if you can help me and also for our listeners, the benefits of our listeners, frame for me, because the, the idea of private prosecution is mm. a relatively new one. So frame for me what exactly private prosecution and the scope for every forum is first before we before we we start with with the stick and Shamila. Okay. Sure. Uh, private prosecution. Firstly, there, there's nothing new about it. it. It's been in our law. We can go back to the English law, uh, you know, a century ago, um, that has been brought in and you know put into our, our Criminal Procedure Act. Um, there's a misconception that what AFRI Forum's private prosecution unit is doing is taking over the role of the state. This is, this is completely false because the unit cannot pursue a private prosecution unless the state has actually said, we're not going to pursue this anymore. Here it is. You can take it forward. Hmm. So the state actually has to be presented with a case and they need to make the decision. Will we prosecute? Will we, will we not prosecute? If they say we will, it becomes a state prosecution, as you've seen many others. Mm. If they say we will not, we're then in a position to ask for what is called a nolly prosecute certificate, which is a certificate to say the state is not going to pursue this. Then different, the laws kick in. And there are certain requirements that are placed on, or conditions rather, placed on the prosecution unit. For example, we need to institute the prosecution within three months. So there's tight 
deadlines. The state can sit in the case for three years and do nothing. The moment they give us the knowledge certificate, we've got three months to move on it. There's also money involved. We need to put down guarantees. So, and this is in the event that we lose. Let's say we do lose. Well, then we have to pay the costs of the um, accused uh, who would have been cleared. So, and, you know, that is how the private prosecution works. It is only in the event that the state decides that they are no longer going to pursue this. But we do a lot of other work besides that. Um, we have watching briefs, for example, in the Senzo matter for um, Senzo's mother and sister. Uh, we have many other clients. I mean, just this week we had uh, the matter involving uh, Lizzie Mojapelo, sergeant in the SAPS, who was allegedly assaulted by the deputy Gauteng speaker, legislature speaker, Vuyakazi um, Manamela. Uh, um, we applied for the Nolly last week, we, or two weeks ago. We heard this week, big news, the state has suddenly decided that they're going to prosecute the matter. So we're going to continue to maintain a watching brief. So we do many things, um, but you know, private prosecution is not only it. We keep a close eye to ensure that there's no selective prosecution and that they're politically shielded. Um, have their day in court. Like most of South Africa, we're deeply invested in the sense of Meiwa case. So what does that mean, that you have a watching brief? What does that mean? Well, we keep an eye on court proceedings. Uh, Senzo's mother and, and relatives, they, they're not in Gauteng, they live in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, and it's something we experience as well, the prosecution or prosecutors, they're there to fight on behalf of victims of crime. That, that is their role. But the extended family, the, the people affected by the particular crime, we find that there's often very little to no interaction with them. For example, somebody who doesn't understand the court system to come and explain to them, right, this is what is going to happen today. The prosecutor is going to stand here or I'm going to stand here. That's going to be the accused over there. The witness is here and the judge is up there because it's a strange environment. Somebody who's never been into a courtroom could be overwhelmed by what's happening. They don't understand the procedure. Mm. We provide that kind of assistance to Senzo's family. We provide them with updates on what's happening in court, provide them an understanding of, because I mean, it's, it's really got complicated now. This whole issue of the two dockets and what's happening, you got an application here, you got Mr. Tefo on his feet for something or another. And, you know, it, it, we're trying just to distill this and try and put the family in a comfortable position. Initially, when they approached us, it was when the matter was still a cold case. The matter hadn't been prosecuted yet, and they wanted us to get involved to try and get it moving. Then there was development. We've just maintained that to try and support the family uh, for as long as this trial goes on. To uh, And if there is something that we believe untoward has happened, Mr. Nell is always in court, um, and he would then stand up and request uh, leave to make an, 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 a submission to the court, should we believe it necessary for on behalf of the family. What is untoward? What do you mean untoward? Like, like you know, what? Untoward. Well, I don't know. <laughs> what <laughs> I'm saying is, Mr. Nal is there. If there was in, with his legal brain, and if, if there was inadmissible evidence, or if there was some kind of procedural problem, because a lot of people in this country can't afford the, the kind of legal representation that they should have. A lot of, you know, a lot of lawyers are forced to do pro bono work. They don't particularly love it in some cases, but a lot of people really have to rely on whatever they can. And in this case, I mean, we know, for example, that uh, the prosecutors are not necessarily as well uh, resourced as the people who do defense in some of these situations. And, Obviously, there are occasions where it's exactly the opposite way around, but it does strike me as interesting that, that so much of 
what we do in this country. I mean, I'm sitting here in the in the semi dark because if I hadn't gone and bought an inverter, I wouldn't have power this morning. Um, we 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 know that we can't rely on basics on government for basic services. We know that the the legal business is a very expensive thing to get embroiled in. Um, seeking justice mm. for yourself is something not available to the average South African. So it doesn't. I'm not particularly surprised that there are now ways for people to. Um, to either prosecute in the case of, of what you guys do at AFRI Forum, or even to find ways to help defend themselves if they're accused of much worse things in court. And, and it's, it's up to you. It's not up to the government. They, they, they seem incapable of doing the right thing in this situation, and it seems to me like you guys stepped into the breach. That's all. Well, somebody was commenting yesterday on social media um, along the lines of how you look at several sectors in society, private education, private health, private security, mm. uh, and, and a host of other things. And, and all of these industries are flourishing because yep. of the failure of the state. Yep. And unfortunately, if, if, if the NPA was prosecuting everybody, applying the law without fear or favor, um, where there was no question about political shielding of certain suspects, such as the case of Nomvuyo Manamela, Mshakaza Manamela, who's the deputy speaker, then there wouldn't be scope for an organization such as AfriForum's private prosecution. Sure, we could provide some assistance here and there, but Mm. we have certainly stepped in because there was a need. There was downright injustice uh, being committed by the National Prosecuting Authority and the police when it came to prosecutions. Um, What's that separation? I'm, I'm also quite interested to understand what the relationship between every forum, the mother body, and the private prosecutions wing thereof. Very important. Um, you know, when Mr. Nell established the, the, the office about five years ago, one thing he put down as, as one of the ground rules, and, and this is the way it is today, is the independence of the unit. Mm-hmm. Almost as if, and you know, when I joined, you know, I had to try and wrap my you know, mind around this as well. And the way I thought of it is perhaps the independence of the National Prosecuting Authority from the Justice Department. Whereas the Justice Department, led by the minister, might deal with all the political aspects and, and so on related to it. It might be the funding arm. The NPA itself is an you know, uh, uh, independent body. It's got its own head. They make mm-hmm. decisions about their own resources and so on and what matters they're going to choose. Mr. Nell has the final say on what matters we do here. There's no instruction, nor does Mr. Nell report to the mother body every forum. Uh, of course, there are occasional meetings, general meetings, but it's not in the sense that we take any instructions and so on. Um, we are entirely independent. It's a small office. There's about 10 of us. Um, and we get on and do what we got to do. Our results, uh, you can just simply see it in the media. So you don't have... So I'm, I'm yeah. very interested. Go ahead, Pums. Gareth, you go. Well, I, I think for a lot of people, no, I, I, for a lot of people, Afri Forum seems like an almost quasi-political organization. You know, it's certainly it's funded by members. It's, it's, a, it's a, an, for all intents and purposes, a a parapolitical body which kind of operates and some people say um that you know that that afri forum is 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 a is a great thing in civil society that they they stand up for the rights of of their members that they are um the kind of organization that can actually with a very specific ethos correct yeah they also have a very specific ethos but i think what pumi's getting at here barry is that maybe Afri Forum uses this private prosecution unit as a way to score political points on their supposed enemies, 
Um, it would be a very expensive and complicated way of doing that when the enemies, in inverted commas, in this case, the, the ANC and, and the corrupt government, they seem to be shooting themselves in the foot and, and doing themselves more damage than AFRI Forum could ever do to them with private prosecutions. What, what is that uh, philosophy? No, not necessarily. You think Wait so? Me, there is, but that's not necessarily true because if, they are, if their strategy is one to go after put and set, and we know that this is how the law works, is mm-hmm. you have to set benchmarks mm-hmm. in the law that allow certain things to become a reality. And if their strategy, if their political strategy is to then go at it in that particular way, then it makes absolute sense to have a private prosecution arm in place Mm -hmm. that goes after specific cases which would set legal precedents that would allow, I mean, this is what we're looking at in America with everybody's up in arms about Roe v. Wade, Mm -hmm. right? Is because there are so many precedents that then follow from all of those prosecutions that that use that as a put <laughs> that's what that. and that yeah two points first off you know, this notion of going after political enemies mm. yet yeah, if that were the case um and again I, as i explained earlier about when the private prosecution unit can function or can act okay the conditions the state first needs to make the decision that it is not going to do that. Right. So if it were true that this unit was going after political opponents, the quickest way to neutralize the unit is for the NPA to do its job, where right. there is a case of corruption or there is a case of, of criminality, mm-hmm. prosecute it. Yeah. That's all we're saying. We're not going to go and put down money and our time and effort, because uh, remember, there are very strict conditions on a private prosecution. Yeah. You've got to put down hundreds of thousands of rands as surety. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go to all that effort where there is not a prima facie case. Mr. Yeah. Nelly, the prosecutor, he's not going to go stand in a courtroom and fight for a case that's going to win because he'll embarrass himself. Mm-hmm. And it's simply, well, what's the point? That's an injustice to go after somebody where there is no case. So if it is believed that this unit is created to go after political enemies, the quickest way to put it to bed yeah. is to simply prosecute. It's as simple as that. Do your job. All right, so- no, but that's not what I am saying. I'm not saying it's about going after political enemies. I'm simply saying that it is a very clever strategy to create precedents that can be right. used in the political okay. arena. Yeah. Yes, I think that's very good. That's a very. You still got to meet the requirements. I mean, we look at Mr. Duma recently. Excuse he- me. Say that again. I, I hear what you're saying, but you, you're talking about setting precedent. You just got to look at Mr. Mr. Zuma recently, who's now going after Mr. Downer um, in a private prosecution. I don't believe that'll even get off the ground. Yeah, that's fine. That, that, is, that is Zuma and that is a, a different. And all that I am bringing to the fore here is that it is a possibility that this is a political strategy that allows a backdoor into particular precedents mm. in order to be used for political gains. But having said that, you know, I'm, I'm also, and this is the reason why I'm asking you about the separation mm. between the two, Barry, is because I'm quite fascinated at the moment. You know, when you joined the 
as as a spokesperson, you moved and we started the show today with your illustrious career as a as a journalist, which essentially just made you a an objective observer of what is happening mm-hmm. and reporting on all of those things. And when you move into the realm of being a spokesperson, you take you you take the the trust that people have in you and your objectivity or your point of view, and you lend that to the particular organization to say, I am now going to speak for these people Absolutely. and I'm using the person that I am, which, and, and I watched an interview a couple of days ago with Ted Koppel, who then says, essentially, when you move from being a journalist to being a spokesperson, you move from the space of being an objective observer to essentially becoming a spear carrier, a fighter for this particular organization. And you talk about the fact that the two have a separation, but in the past couple of weeks, you, you've been tweeting quite um, loudly, I would say, about the border control issues and Afri Forum, right. which is yeah. and and Afri Forum taking on this responsibility, which is not the private prosecution wing, but because now you are linked to Afri Forum, is that what you have become? Is this you've come to this organization because you believe? in what this organization, not just the private prosecution, but also AFRI Forum, and you are lending your credibility to that? I think what you're seeing there is, and, and, and even when I was a journalist, I still have opinions, yeah. and I'm going to voice opinions. On the question of the border matter, and my comment there specifically was, and, and this is a fair question, I think, the Department of Home Affairs, as well as the SANDF, both claim that for private individuals to patrol a border is plainly unlawful. But nobody in the reports that I've read actually asks either of those bodies, the SANDF or the Department of Home Affairs, well, what law are you referring to? What offense is it for a group of private people uh, to walk along the border, whether they've got a a, a dog on a leash? Um, Where is the offense in doing this? I mean, a lot of these properties, as we understand it, are on the border itself. So it would be private individuals on their own land. Yeah. And it was merely a question to, well, if you're going to tell us that it's against the law, tell us what law. But I do venture opinions on many things. I venture opinions on what the DA does. I venture opinions on what the ANC does. Mm -hmm. There are various organizations. Um or issues, news issues. But as a journalist, as a journalist, you you absolutely had a way to do that. Their opinion pages, their opinion pieces. So as a journalist, it was easy for us to be able to distinguish between when you're reporting and when you are an opinion piece. But now that you are a spokesperson and you're lending your credibility to this organization, all of your opinions are also then construed as being in line with the organization. Well, I joined an organization and I strongly believe with what we're doing here, the issue of justice and accountability, the issue of uh, political shielding that must come to an end, selective prosecution. So I'll gladly speak up for that uh, any day. And of course, uh, so and as a journalist, you would have had. No, I'm just thinking that they, they would have yes, also Gareth? they would have said to you, Barry, like you can tweet what you want or they would have said. You will only tweet what we tell you to as your as your employer. In fact, what people don't understand uh, about journalists in this country is that a lot of um, journalists work for companies that won't allow them to tweet their opinions. Uh, there are a lot of, of, of businesses in South Africa, private businesses, 
multinational corporations, even public enterprises that don't allow people to tweet, um, even in their private capacity. They say to them, if you bring this organization into disrepute, you're going to cause big trouble for yourself in your job. Um, and I would assume, Barry, in your case, of course, I might be horribly wrong, that you've had discussions with the AFRI Forum guys and they've said to you, well, you can tweet whatever you like. Is that the way it goes? Well, uh, um, no, I, we didn't actually have discussions quite like that. I mean, there's just an understanding. And I mean, I've never had a discussion particularly with uh, Mr. Nell, but no. I mean, every day, I mean, we're in a news environment. We discuss the news. We have opinions. Um, sometimes I express them. So as a journalist, I, I do want to talk again about the border control thing, because it, it, one of the things for me that is very worrying about that and private individuals on their land and protecting their land is a very different thing from private individuals saying that the border authority mm -hmm. is failing. Therefore, we are going to take up this particular job right and there are two actually you say the laws that are um, that are being broken there are actually two one is an international law which south africa initially did not sign onto it human rights law at the un initially because it was signed in 1948 and mm -hmm. the np had just come into power and they refused to be a signatory to this because it would have made apartheid and apartheid laws illegal and this is the reason why the world was able to stand up against it but the second one is a border management authority which is part of our constitution it's part of our constitution there is an act in our constitution right but what's the law effect. The, the law is that I, only private individuals private individuals only the border management authority and the department of home affairs are the only people who may enforce this also at which point do you then say the private individual who has decided that they're going to be border authority at which point do they say eh, where's your bus and if that person refuses to show it to them what authority and on whose authority can they pursue that individual and how far are they willing to pursue that individual past their land all the way to pretoria if they have to and how different is that from the border wars that we've seen with South Africa and other countries? <laughs> All right. So, first of all, let's be very clear. I don't. I don't mm. speak for every forum, and that that uh, okay. Jacques Breidenbach, That's his campaign that he has started. Let's be very clear there. So, the issue of private individuals walking down a piece of land. There's certainly no breaking of the law there. They're not controlling who comes in nor who goes out of the country. That's not what they're doing, as I understand it. Okay, so what are they doing? What does border? No, no, no. I think you should get Jacques Bradenbach on to come and speak okay. about this particular aspect. All right. We will. I, I honestly do not speak right. for every forum. Let's... I speak for the private prosecution unit. This is not my campaign. All right. So, so let's talk about. No, some... I'm asking about your tweets. I'm not asking about every forum. Oh no, I'm but I've, I've explained that. I've explained that, and I said to you that there is no law that stops you walking down a border. You're telling me about a law. I'm asking you to what sense. There is no law that stops you walking down a border on your side. And I'm asking you right. if what you are saying is that these private individuals who are members of every forum mm -hmm. are within their right to patrol the border of South Africa. But they are not, not their land, but the border of South Africa. Is that what you're saying? Because that's what your tweet sounded like you were saying. Absolutely. As I understand it, that's what they're doing on their private land, which is on the inside of the border of South Africa. So that, that's not a, that, that is not border patrol. That's just private patrol. 
your tweet and the there way that you had yeah. framed it. So the way, the way uh, you had you framed it. You must explain to me what is the law I that just has been broken. No, no, no. Let me fight. Let me fight. I'm going to stop us in, in, in this, uh, this, you know, we, if we go any further into the weeds on this thing, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. I'll get, I'll get uh, the, the other guy. Who's it? Jacques who? Uh, Broderick, Jacques Broderick. Jacques Broderick. Head I'll, of campaigns for Africa. I'll see if I can get him on Pumi and we can have it out with him because really with Barry here, I want to get on to some other should. things. All right, so let's talk about some of the cases that you've got going on now. And I mean, famously, Afroforum has taken on cases against Grace Mugabe. You've taken on cases against, uh, you know, Senzo Miwa's uh, killers. We, I'm interested in what exactly it is that you guys are looking to achieve here and whether there is, because you can't do everything. How do you choose which cases you get involved in and which ones you don't? Yeah, you know, we've got a, a full-on case management type system. We, we've got the Ons for Folk um, email address where anybody who, who wants a particular matter to be picked up or, or is concerned, they would send a, a detailed email. And we've got somebody who would go through that and see where our scope is to be able to assist. Sometimes it just involves writing letters. Other mm-hmm. times it would uh, involve going through to the the actual request for a knowledge certificate to privately pro- prosecute. Yeah. Um, the whole goal is, and, and again, I'll go back to this incident, uh, this matter that we were dealing with earlier this week with um, the deputy speaker of the Gauteng legislature. Yeah. Where <clears throat> we wrote a letter saying, okay, because the matter was on the roll, the deputy speaker appeared in court, but. And a prosecutor decided, no, we're not going to pursue this any longer. Um, we stepped in and said, right, so, so give us the t- certificate so we can take it further. Um, within two weeks, we got a, a letter back from the director of public prosecutions in uh, Gauteng. That they're now going to telling prosecute. Telling us that decision was an error. Uh, we've reprimanded the prosecutor who yeah. took that decision. We're now going to okay. pursue it. But you would understand. Um, so, uh, and like we Barry. consider that a success. But absolutely. And, and I mean, congratulations on getting that done and forcing the, the National Director of Public Prosecutions to make a move. But a lot of people would say, oh, well, you only took interest in this case. And again, I'm taking the cynical attitude here because I know you can able, you're able to acquit yourself and, and explain what it is that you're doing. A lot of cynical people would say, well, it's only because it's Buti Manamela's wife. You know? That's what people see. So, uh, and, and you understand, having been in the media for a long time, how so much of it is spin. Um, what makes Afri Forum choose a case like that as opposed to probably some very good, some very meritorious situations that, where people have been completely ignored by the law, where the government and the prosecuting authority have not done their job? And there are, there are so many cases that are deserving of the help that you guys afford certain people. It's just, a, I, I'm curious as to how you decide which ones get the, the money, the resources, the time, the attention of people like Harry Nell and which ones don't. I mean, there's got to be an explanation for that because otherwise people will jump to conclusions. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. And it, it always helps to go and look at the work that we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many cases that we're in the courts on the watching briefs that we are pursuing with Regular people, um, let's take a look at the Yakutswart matter from a couple of weeks ago. That was a gender-based violence matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are regular people. Yeah. Um, and that matter was a similar decision where it was on the roll. Um, Nicolene Swart, the matter was going to, to pursue. On the day of the trial, she was actually informed that we're no longer uh, going to pursue this matter. And it was then, out of desperation, that she approached us, and, and that's where we got involved. Um, you know... <laughs> 
try to think of the matters we're involved in. We, we're busy every day. We're in courts. Um, the, the cases are taken on, on questions of merit, mm-hmm. where there are grounds. So you say the Manamela matter, um, we're only doing it because it's political. No, I'm, no. Say, no, I'm saying some There is some a prima facie case. I, I'm saying some people would say you only took an interest in it because it's Buti Manamela's wife. Oh, all right. I'm, okay, I hear I'm you not, saying. Okay, the, I'm not saying that. Right. I, I think, and, and to be perfectly okay. frank no, no, no. about this, I, I, think, I think it's great when you guys do get involved in issues like this domestic violence matter that you mentioned with SWAT the other day. I think it's great. I read these in the papers and it gives me a thrill to know that there is some other place people can go to to seek justice if they haven't got that from the authorities. So I'm not, I'm not uh, in any way opposed to this. Uh, just like ordinary people going around fixing potholes in the roads, I'm all for it. If it's the insurance companies, great. It's because government aren't doing their job. I love the fact that there are people patching the holes that government can no longer fill. I don't have a problem with it. But in this case, you can understand why there would be people who'd say, oh, well, it's a political motivation. Yeah, I, I do understand that. But what I'm saying is the response to that is to, to the mere fact that the state has now decided to pursue the particular matter mm. demonstrates, uh, and not just pursue the matter, to reprimand the prosecutor who took the decision not to pursue the matter. Right. Very important. Uh, demonstrates. Can, I ask the, can I ask the question slightly differently? Okay. When you decide, is there a particular framework you use? Because the person on the, on, the, on the side where they see their case not being prosecuted does not necessarily understand why the case is not being prosecuted. So is there a particular framework that you use to choose the cases that you will follow? First off, they need to be criminal matters. So let's be clear that we receive a lot of calls every day. People will raise, oh, I've got money. This person owes me this or that there. And they'll, I mean, dozens of calls like that every day. <laughs> we don't take on civil matters, right? <laughs> when it comes to the criminal matters, first off, it needs to be a case that has been registered. Okay. So a case that is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some people saying that this other person hurt me. Uh, will you prosecute them? That, no, you first need to have a case that is registered. Right. In the events where you have cases that are registered and they're being pursued, um, sometimes you have matters that have been sitting on the roll for four or five years. In instances like that, we can get involved where we would then take up the matter and then we just write a letter to the DPP or to the parties involved and we ask, well, what is going on here? This is an unreasonable delay and the like. Going a step further where there has been a case and it was investigated and a docket was sent to a prosecutor, the prosecutor declined to prosecute. That's where we can get in. We can submit on the complainant's behalf uh, a request for the docket. We could then have a look at the docket and see whether or not the decision was a correct one. If it was a correct decision, well, then it's not a matter we can pursue any further. Um, if we believe it was an incorrect decision, that there's a prima facie case against the, the accused in the matter, we will then request that knowledge certificate and then we can take it further. So we've got somebody who, who assesses these every day. Uh, the, the first line is the call coming in. You've got to send us a detailed email, dates, times, people involved, what resources or recourse was followed throughout. And it is on that basis that a decision is then made who passes it on to the next person, perhaps an investigator, who will then uh, assess the details on and, and decide what next step to take. All right. I, I, don't, I want to be very clear not to turn this into an interview with Barry about the, 
the private prosecution arms of, of AfriForum. We also have the burning platform itself to do. So there's lots of stuff in the news. I want to know what both of you think about this horrible situation in East London, this tragedy where, you know, 20 children, I mean, some as young as 13, 14 years old, uh, dead. There are many more who are still in hospital. Um, what do you th- what do you guys think is is going on here, and what are the bigger questions we have to ask ourselves as South Africans? Because this story to me reveals a whole lot more than just an incident. It reveals to me that there are a lot of young people in this country who are in a very very precarious situation. We don't know where the parents are. In some cases, five of these bodies have not even been claimed right up to now, which means either that they didn't have. Uh, active parenting or that those parents still don't know they've all been claimed now have they all been claimed because by yesterday when yeah, i, I yeah, last checked I in the last night. Last night. okay well then that is a relief yeah. but it doesn't obviously these families that are going to be bereft and 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 are, are, are seriously um uh, have reason rather to be uh, very very annoyed at what's happened here if not deeply deeply mournful and regretful that they let their kids leave the house on that day but what's really going on here because it's made National news, it's got a lot of people on social media talking, and, and I think a lot of us are forced to look at ourselves in the mirror as, as a community in South Africa and go, what the hell, how could this happen to our children? Well, the Herald this morning is also going with the headline that says that the, the tavern owner, according to the liquor department or something like that, I think it falls in the department of uh, finance that they complied with their liquor license. So that's what the Herald's headline is this morning. Again, really they complied, they were selling alcohol to minors. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's a, for me, it's a microcosm of what the whole of South Africa is going through. You know, there are many different people who are part of this situation. There is the community, there are the parents, there is the business owner, um, and there is law enforcement. And all of those individuals have been found wanting in this situation. I think you hit the nail right on the head. And if, if you, I don't know if you enjoy watching these disaster shows on, 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 on DSTV. And one thing, if you, you, like even an aircraft crash, it's never one thing that goes wrong that causes a disaster. It's always a confluence of of many different things that go wrong. So we could start at the very, you know, the fact that this uh, outlet was operating um, at odd hours and there were thousands of people there. Uh, You can bring into the fact that uh, the overcrowding, um, the liquor involved and young children. So that's how the young children were involved. And now I hear, according to the reports yesterday, about a generator that was operating inside the, the venue. Hmm because um, they suspect carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, and I suppose societal issues as well. And you just bring all of this together and yeah. you just have those and, and the really, meeting of all the factors I mean, and you have a disaster. The, 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 the answer that people often want is a simple one, but it's usually more complex than that to, to answer yeah. you know, the, the point that both mm. of you have already made. I just want to also ask you, because we're in the stage of, what, what is it, level six now? Of, of load shedding and we've got to talk about this because this is the other thing that the whole country is talking about at the moment we we've experienced load shedding for like an hour or two every day for a couple of days we kind of got used to that we started thinking that that's the way that uh, that it's going to be we've been told that it's going to take a long time for them to sort this stuff out if ever but really when we get to level six and we have up to four hours in a day where we don't have power we can joke about it Pumi and i were saying we need 
battery backup. We need to put in solar, all of that stuff. There are a lot of people in this country who can't afford that stuff. They don't have any option except to rely on ESCOM. They are completely beholden to ESCOM. They don't have a way out. And for them, this is going to be not only hugely damaging to their, their job, um, their home, their, their, their children, food security, God knows what else. It's, it, this is going to cost this country an absolute fortune. Yeah, I saw a headline this morning, I think it was on News 24, about emergency meetings now. You know, we, we would, now we're calling emergency meetings. I suppose we should have had these emergency meetings a decade ago. We're so far down this road. Um, you know, to turn around and to change something now, we're in deep trouble. And, and you know, the experts have been telling us this for years. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, the, you're right, Gareth, the, the, the frustrating part of it is, is one aspect. But that other, the, the real impact, the impact on the economy, on, on I suppose the most vulnerable in society, that yeah. um, where jobs are dependent on power, uh, that's where we're really going to start feeling it, and it, it's, not to it's mention, frustrating. Not to mention that old lady who goes to the grocery store once a month because that's all she can afford on her pension, buys some things, puts them in the deep freeze, and then finds that they've all gone off because the deep freeze couldn't stay cold for four hours. That's that's where it hits the ordinary person right in the in the yeah. stomach, and it just seems to me to be very very unfair that we've got to this point. And this this in particular this week because of strikes because workers want more money for not doing a great job at ESCOM. Hmm. You know, I I think it, it, the the strike issue. I'm glad you brought it up, Gareth, because the strike issue also sounds a little bit like this is another great South Africanism, right? Is it's we we want two things. We want someone we can blame, mm-hmm. and in this case, stage six is being blamed on the the workers that are striking uh, illegally, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing we want is we want a savior. We want somebody who's going to come in and fix everything mm. for us. And, and here we are, you know, with Eskim, and I'm wondering how long it's going to take the rater to actually put his hand up and say, listen, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't fix this shit. I'm, right. I'm, I'm out of here. But, but it, and uh, look, and I, I, I wish that it was more than just him, you know, all of the, the various individuals. I think it would be it would it would work better for us all if we actually understood that nobody is there at the wheel. Nobody knows what they're doing. There's not right. enough engineers. Well, there I did, I did see. I saw Pravin Gordon trying to take credit for um, sorting out this this colossal fuck up. I saw him saying in in the news just yesterday there was a there was a. You saw Pravin Gordon? I've yeah. been wondering where he is. There was a there was a like flies to Durban cost four thousand rand in a single yeah. direction yeah, because yeah, yeah. they cocked up SAA, uh-huh. <laughs> and Pravin Gordon has been quiet. He's the they guy. He, he's the, he said they, he said yesterday as public enterprises minister. No, he's cobbled together a deal for the workers at ESCOM and saved us. So you mentioned the bad, the bad person we want to blame, but there's Pravin trying to step up as the savior. This guy is just he's unbelievable. He's made of Teflon, and people still think he's one of the good guys. Mm, mm.
Mm. I uh, look. I am exactly very right. excited to see that. I I am very excited to see that. Um, even our newspapers have and journalists have gotten to a place where the rest of South Africa has been. That says these guys have completely fucked up, and mm-hmm. none of them are going to save us. Uh, and and they're beginning to ask some of those tough questions. I think for a very long time, and we've spoken about how Cyril is treated with kid gloves this mm-hmm. past Sunday. Almost all the papers carried some rather, even his favorite Peter Bruce Mm -hmm. had some scathing comments to make about Cyril Ramaphosa. We're seeing the same treatment now (laughs) heading in the way of Pravin Gordon. And I'm glad. I'm glad that, you know, we've come to a place where the brutal honesty now is because the newspapers and the, you know, the newspapers and the media continues to have quite a disproportionate voice mm-hmm. in terms of how South Africans well, understand the paradigm of what is going on. Well, I'd like to hear Barry. Well, you, what you're speaking about also is the decline of Ramaphoria. But Barry, talk about this because you're no longer a journalist. You don't work for a media house. I mean, the state of the media, and, and Pumi's reference here I think is so apt, like the way people are falling out of love with Cyril, the way that the media fell in love with him for no good reason at the start of his term. Um, you, you've seen how the how newsrooms work in various places. You've worked with lots of journalists who work at other publications, and over your career, you've probably got to know all of them. Um, what do you think the state of media is, and why do you think it's taken people who are supposedly <laughs> quite smart and intelligent, you know, the ones who are meant to tell the rest of us what's happening, Peter Bruce, for example, it's taken a guy like that this long to figure out how fucking wrong he was? You know, I think we'll be touched on it in, in the other example she gave earlier just related to ESCOM, and it was that need for somebody to be our saviour. And I think that's what happened when Zuma was out and Ramaphosa was in. And so Ramaphosa was elevated, and like you say, Gareth, without any merit, was elevated to this position, and, and that it was dubbed this Ramaphoria, that he was going to be the saviour that would turn... Um, a, the government around, uh, and B, uh, many people thought the ANC around. Um, so the criticism of, of him being elevated by the media to that level of Messiah, I think, is perfectly placed. Um, it, it certainly, and it, you right, it took very, very long for people to come around to start actually now criticizing him. I mean, it really took, I mean, his fall from grace, if you needed to pick a defining moment, if you can pick it, yeah. was the Pala Pala matter. Yeah. Um, the president having finally the millions mayor, yeah, upon uh, millions in cash in, in, at, at, at his uh, game reserve. I mean, this is just very peculiar, I think, is a, is, a, is a polite way to say it. And he would have to explain himself. Well, um, like any of us would if we were found with that kind of cash under our mattresses. So, so I mean, essentially what you're saying then is that the, 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 there are a lot of really stupid people in the media uh, who, who want to believe in fairy tales. And, and what, uh, I mean, this is what you're saying. I'm reading between the lines. You can, correct, you say, you can correct me if you, if you don't agree. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of a damning uh, judgment on, on them. And, Pumi, you, uh, let me give you credit. You saw through this guy right from the start. You weren't ever – you didn't have any Ramaphoria. Uh, Pumi's been vocally and, and very vociferously critical of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. But, guys, is there light at the end of the tunnel here? I hate to end the show, especially with, with Barry, who's you know one of the people who I believe really has made a difference. Again, I refer to your early uh, career, your, 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 real, uh, your work as a journalist, your work as an author. 
you know, I don't want to end the show on a bad note here. We've got lots of things uh, that we can we can look forward to. There are lots of things that make us no worse than other countries in the world, where we see a lot of uh, really difficult situations developing. I mean, the United States at the moment is in in a really awful position. Uh, Europe is complicated as all hell. Throats over party gate. You know, the Chinese are, are, are having their own internal problems, and externally, they're also being looked at askance for the first time. They're also, you know, being treated with a more objective point of view by the rest of us. I'm just interested in whether or not you see reasons for us to be positive and optimistic about just not just the future of South Africa, but the future of, of the world. I mean, the economy is in the doldrums most places, but there's got to be a reason to keep on keeping on. democracy yeah <laughs> you know i mean that is the, if if there are things to change i suppose you have to look at those institutions that fight for that for example so there's a lot of organizations i believe doing fantastic work we look at freedom under law the helen susman foundation um i mean there's various other ngos ksac with lawson naidu i believe they do some fantastic work as well um and then at you know these organizations doing that to to uh, preserve the the rule of law with mm. i suppose the goal uh when where is the next general election who's 2024 no that's america mm. oh, it is it? It is 2024 as well and you know that is 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 our power i think as south africans you know the the freedom to be able to choose um and and things have changed a lot in the last decade in the last five years so i think gareth and my favorite things, I'm going to end the show by saying what I say every week. And I, I think when we spoke about Inuwin, um, the point I was making there is it is we're all part of a system of things. There's a, there are communities, there are families, there are business owners, there are law enforcement officers. We are part of that community in various aspects. So every single one of us in different aspects, you know, Gareth, you are a community member and you are a business owner. Um, if you are a worker, if you are in the system, if you're a civil servant, whichever one or number of things you are in the system, voting is not enough. Yeah. Getting out once every five years to put an X next to something is not enough. You have to be actively involved in all these aspects. Holding yeah. authorities well, to account is not about showing up to put your X. It's about doing the work too. I think South Africans must have come to a place now that says nobody is coming to save us but ourselves. So we've got to roll up our sleeves and we've got to get involved beyond just putting an X. Well, you've, you've, you really said, I agree with that. you've said yeah. precisely one of the reasons why I, I like having Barry on and why I've got to, got to give an organization like AfriForum, Solidaritate. You know, there are lots of these organizations that are doing exactly that. They're standing up. And they're doing stuff. They're not just going to the polls as ordinary citizens and voting. And we need more organizations like this, frankly. You know, there are lots of people who feel they're under, underrepresented or unrepresented. We have millions of people in this country who are unemployed. They must get together. They have the, the, the time. They obviously don't have the resources, but there are people who will help them with that. Get together, make organizations like AFRI Forum happen, and support them. You need to financially support them. Alta is another good example. We've had Wayne on from Alta a couple of times. 
um, the Helen Sisman Foundation. There are a lot of NGOs that are doing terrific work. We've got to support these guys because they are making things happen, whether it's private prosecutions like the stuff that Barry's involved in now or small community organizations where people go and fix the potholes. Let's do this. Um, I'm feeling quite optimistic about that front. And, Barry, it's good to have you on. It's all, we don't need an excuse, but the next time you've got uh, an, important, an important and fiery case on the go, we'll be sure to call you and uh, keep us informed as to well, next week. Well, next week we're in court. Mm-hmm. Next week we're in court, private prosecution of Alexei Bezos, the son of uh, the great uh, human George rights lawyer. He's accused, yes, he's accused of uh, uh, assaulting his wife. Sure. Um, it's a domestic violence matter, um, and uh, that is a private prosecution. Wow. Karinel is, is privately prosecuting Alexei Bezos. And hmm. that's next week, so keep a close eye. All right. And I absolutely thank you for having me on. Kumi, sure. Gareth, it's been an absolute pleasure. No, absolutely. We wouldn't uh, we wouldn't give anyone an easy ride here either. So it's not a PR uh, move for for Afri Forum, which is why I'm glad that we asked some of the tougher questions. And Barry, we will see you soon. Pumi, we will see you next Thursday. Yes. Everybody have an excellent Thursday and try and keep warm. And I hope you get your lights on for at least, I don't know, an hour or two today so you can do all the stuff you have to do. Cheers, absolutely. everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks. You were standing Bye. here over my shoulders. You were standing here <laughs> making sure I don't touch us. <laughs> <laughs> Cliffcentral.com